right. Well, good morning, everyone. Some good combos going on in the room today. We're grateful for that. Uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Tyson, and uh, I'm one of the pastors on the team here at Colwood Church, and I'm so grateful that you've uh, taken some time out of your schedule to be with us for worship and for this gathering this morning. So thanks for being here today. Uh, let me start by asking this question. How many people in the room today have a cell phone? Okay. Think about the, how amazing this is. In 2007, Apple introduced us to their smartphone, the iPhone, and it's the first device that offered a full version of the internet on it. In 2007, there were around 120 million smartphones sold in worldwide. And today, according to Statista, there are approximately 6.9 billion smartphone users in the world today, or just under 86% of the worldwide population from zero to 86% in just a couple of decades. With, with, what a massive shift in our lifetime. I remember a pre-cell phone world. Does anyone remember a pre-cell phone world? We were bored a lot. <laughs> we were told to go outside and go on our bikes a lot. And uh, with a massive shift like this, it's amazing how we can now communicate so easily within our world. Globally, it's estimated that we send 23 billion text messages per day. 50 billion WhatsApp messages per day, and estimated that globally we send 8.4 trillion text messages per year. Think about that for a second. In an instant, we can communicate with anyone, anywhere, as long as they have cell or internet service. That's pretty incredible. Just last week, my brother was traveling in the UK, and I was able to communicate with him. I had something really important to send to him, a funny meme that I saw online. And this message bounced off of a few cell towers and went right into my brother's pocket. That's pretty amazing. It's something that makes us historically unique. Historically, communication was not always this easy. If you wanted to communicate with someone across the world, you would have to write them a letter, and then you would have to entrust that letter to be delivered by someone, by a carrier, which would take weeks or months. And a couple of problems arise with this way of communicating. How do you know if the letter is real? How do you know if it's actually from your loved one across the world? What if the letter had been faked and, and the person asked you for a large sum of money? These are the original e email scammers. My dearest Gertrude, I have fallen on difficult times. Please send me 10,000 pounds at once with all of the love that I possess. Kevin. It's a historically accurate name. You can check it. A second problem that pops up with this way of communicating through letters is, what if someone has opened up your private letter, or worse, tampered with it? How could you know that something was safe and only to be seen by the intended audience? And this is where people came up with an ingenious system of using a seal. You can see this picture of it right here. Maybe you've seen this on a, on a fancy wedding invitation before. But seals go as far back as the Old Testament, and they were used to ensure the security and the secrecy of important documents. Someone who was sending communication would take their seal, usually on a ring or a small token, dip it in wax or clay as a way of signing the letter. The seal would signify the authenticity of the letter. If you knew someone's seal, you would know who it came from. And it would also make it difficult, if not impossible, to tamper with because if someone tried to open the seal, it would be broken. 
And throughout history, seals were used by royalty and those in authority as a way to communicate with authority, and it served as a sign of trust. You knew that it was authentic, it was secure, and you could trust the words that were under the seal. It was marked by those who had sent it. And this brings us to an important truth in the passage that we're going to read today. You have been sealed. And so if you have your Bibles with you today, I invite you to turn to Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. We've been going through Ephesians chapter 1 in our series all around doctrine. And so we're going to pick this up in verses 13 and 14 today. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says this. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray as we've read God's word together this morning. Jesus, I thank you for this passage of scripture, and I pray that today, God, you would open up our eyes to see more clearly what it means to be sealed by your spirit. I pray that today, even if we're going to go over some basic truths of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would open up our eyes or remind us of important things when it comes to your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for each one of these people who are present and watching with us online. We pray that our hearts would just be open to what you want to speak through your word. In your name, Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen. As we talked about just a moment ago, seals were a crucial part of the ancient world. And in the passage that we just read, it communicates to us that we have been sealed by God. He has marked us. When you heard the message of truth and you believed in it, the good news of salvation, you have been sealed. This is at the heart of our faith. When we hear about what Jesus did by going to the cross, dying for our sin and our shame, by rising from the dead to defeat death and all of its power, the question is, how will we respond? Do we want to receive this gracious gift and live in light of what God has done for us? Or will we choose to go our own way and turn our backs on what God is trying to give to us? And for those who have heard and placed their trust in Jesus, believing he is the way to life, the passage we read from Ephesians goes on to say we have been marked by a seal. And you are sealed. And if you think about this in terms of what we just talked about, when we say we are sealed by God, it means that he is confirming our faith and that we are his. It means that there is authenticity to what has been sealed. We do not have to worry about whether we are in or whether we are out. If we have placed our trust in Jesus, you have been sealed. God has marked you as his. And with that, there's also a great deal of security. The seal is from God. It cannot be broken or stolen. The word that's used here for seal carries with it the idea that you are now secure from Satan. Here's the way that Paul puts it in another one of his letters. Romans chapter 8 says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither the height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are secure today, church. Is that not good news? You are sealed and when you trust in Jesus, none of those things can separate you from the love of God. No powers, nothing in this world, nothing in your past, nothing in the future. 
you are sealed. And it's not a seal of wax or clay, but something much more powerful, the Holy Spirit of God. Now, when I say Holy Spirit, I know many people in the room today or with us maybe online have different experiences or understandings of the Holy Spirit. You may be brand new to this whole church thing in Christianity. You might be like, the Holy what? I've heard of the Holy Ghost maybe, but I have no idea what the Holy Spirit is. Maybe you come from a more reformed or what's called a cessationist background, and you believe that God's Spirit was at work in Scripture, but that He doesn't necessarily work in that same way today. Maybe you've experienced stuff that you would say, the Holy Spirit is super weird, and I do not like it. You could be open to the Holy Spirit and excited about talking to the, about the Holy Spirit this morning, or you could be completely closed off and say, nah, I'm good without talking any further about the Holy Spirit. And as we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit today, let me just, as a way of being honest, share a bit of my story. I grew up in a Pentecostal church from about week one of my life until today. I've been in a Pentecostal church almost every single week of my life. So I have seen, I have heard, and witnessed all sorts of beliefs and experiences when it comes to the Holy Spirit. I've seen people healed and delivered. I've also seen people try to manipulate and abuse spiritual authority. I've prayed over people and witnessed them start to speak in tongues, and I've also sat with people who are frustrated that they have not experienced that for themselves. I've seen people claim with certainty that the Spirit told them things, and sometimes they are great and inspiring things, and other times they were counter to Scripture, like telling them to cheat on a spouse. When I say I've been around and seen all sorts of things when it comes to this Holy Spirit, I mean all sorts of things, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I would admit to you today that there were seasons, because of the abuses and misuses, misuses of the Holy Spirit, that I didn't really want to talk about the Holy Spirit a lot that I kind of wanted to just avoid that whole topic and that whole area. And today I would acknowledge to you that I'm doing my best to be open to how God is working in and through the Spirit in me and around me. And I want to continue to grow in walking in the Spirit and all that God has when it comes to His Holy Spirit. So because we come to this space today with all sorts of different experiences when it comes to the Spirit, I want to take, I want to take us to Scripture and look at who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does, and what that means for us in our time remaining today. We could call this a bit of Holy Spirit 101 because we're in our doctrine series. So let's start with who is the Holy Spirit. Now the Bible uses a few different words talking about the Spirit, but there are two main words that are used in the Old Testament and the New Testament for who the Spirit is. In the Old Testament, the word is the Hebrew ruach. Can you try and say that? Yeah, you got to really get your throat into that one, ruach. And in the New Testament, it's the Greek word pneuma. Yeah, you can say that one too, that's great. And to help illustrate what these words mean, I want you to do an exercise with me. So can you place your hand in front of your mouth like this? All right, how bad is your breath this morning? You brush your teeth? Okay, good. Now, I want you to say something right now into your hand. Say the word help. All right, say it again, help. Now, what did you feel on your hand? Hopefully not spit, because you hit that P a little bit too hard. <laughs> but what you felt on your hand is your breath. And that is the first and most basic meaning of the Holy Spirit in Scripture, is breath. 
And the interesting thing is when we breathe out, we are breathing out something that has given us life. Without air, we would stop living. Our bodies take the oxygen that we need and when we breathe in, and then we breathe out carbon dioxide and, and a host of other things. And so in a way, the breath that is leaving us is a part of our bodies. It is what has given us life. And so in Scripture, the word for breath is ruach in the Old Testament. Ruach in, ruach out. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the ruach or the pneuma are actually the breath of God. It is God's personal presence. And breath is one of the ways that God's, the Bible describes that presence. You could describe it as an invisible presence that animates and gives life just like our breath. Another metaphor for the Holy Spirit in Scripture is wind. If we look outside and we see trees moving and we don't see anything specifically moving those trees, in English we would describe what, what is happening as the wind moving those trees. But in Hebrew, you would call it the ruach moving the trees. And the common idea between breath and wind is that the spirit is the one who is animating and energizing. It is invisible, just like the wind or our breath. But it is giving the energy and the life to what is happening. You could say it this way. The, the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force, but it's actually God's personal presence. The Holy Spirit is not a what, the Holy Spirit is a who. And if you go through Scripture, one of the first things that you will notice about the Spirit is that it has personal characteristics and traits. Nicky Gumbel points this out so great in the Alpha program. And he says in Scripture, we see many characteristics of personhood describing the Spirit. In Acts 15, it says he thinks. In Acts 1, it says he speaks. In Romans 8, it says he leads. In Ephesians 4, it says he is grieved. He is sometimes described as the spirit of Christ in Romans 8 or the spirit of Jesus in Acts 16. As Christians, we believe that God is made up of Father, Son, and Spirit. The Spirit is a unique person, not an impersonal force, and is worthy of our worship alongside the Father and Son. So that is who the Spirit is. If we want to kind of distill this down into one sentence, we could say this. The Spirit is the invisible personal presence of God. It's the invisible personal presence of God. That is who the Spirit is. Now let's turn to what the Spirit does. Let me say up front, there is a lot of things in Scripture that the Holy Spirit does, so if I don't touch on your favorite thing, I am sorry. I'm going to do my best in this time that we have together to hit as many of the, the topics that the Spirit does in Scripture. So let's start with a pop quiz. Where is the first place in Scripture that you see the Holy Spirit? Here's some murmurs of Genesis. That is correct. Page one of the Bible, sentence two. Genesis 1, 1 to 2 says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Sometimes in church, we can talk about the Holy Spirit like the Holy Spirit is just brand new and bursts onto the scene in the New Testament, that it hasn't been there and been active all throughout the Old Testament. But from the beginning, we see an important thing that the Spirit does. The Spirit is the one who is involved in creating and bringing life. The Spirit creates and brings life. He is hovering over the waters, ready to bring life. 
A little bit later, when God creates human beings, it says that he formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed, ruached into his nostrils the ruach of life, and that man became living. The Hebrew word for breathe or breath there is ruach, which is the word for spirit. The spirit of God brings physical life to humanity formed from dust. The biblical vision for humanity is that God is the one who has given us life and he has breathed his spirit into us, which is what is animating us and making us come alive. So when we die, one of the ways that it is described in scripture is as the spirit returning to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes 12, 7 puts it this way. And the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. The Spirit is the one who creates and brings life. God breathed his Spirit into dust and humanity was brought to life. And alongside this, the second thing that we see the Spirit do in Scripture is that the Spirit is the one who makes us new or also recreates us. If you haven't read the biblical story, in Genesis chapter 3, we see things kind of go off the rails. Sin enters the equation, stuff is broken, and God's original intention for his good world and good creation doesn't seem to be being fulfilled. And so we see the Spirit is actually the one who recreates, takes what is broken, takes what is damaged, and brings new life to it. In John chapter 3, Jesus is having a conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And in their conversation, Jesus says that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus is rightly confused, and he's like, you want me to do what? Think about that for a second. If, some, if you heard someone say, you've got to be born again, and you had no context for that, where does your mind go? I'll let, that, I'll let you reflect on that for a moment. And Jesus answers Nicodemus and says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What Jesus is talking about here is spiritual birth, not going back into your mother's womb. He is saying that we need to be born again by the Spirit. And every single Christian, when they receive Jesus, has had this experience and has had this happen in their lives. The Spirit is the one who has given you new life. And the Spirit not only gives us life in the first place in creation, but he's also the one who gives us new life today. And a big part of this new life is what we would call the fruit of the Spirit. This idea comes from Galatians chapter 5, and in his letter to the Galatian church, the Apostle Paul talks about what life free and empowered by the Spirit is all about. Galatians 5 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you want to know where the Spirit is at work in your life, you can simply ask, am I growing in these areas? Really, what this is about is that the Holy Spirit is helping us grow to look more like Jesus. Jesus is the one who modeled for us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the Spirit is the one who helps us grow into these things in our lives. 
And one of the ways that the Spirit helps us to step into this new life even further is by pointing us back to Jesus and what he taught. So the third thing that the Spirit does is the Holy Spirit points us back to Jesus and reminds us of what he taught. John 14, 26 puts it this way, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. John 15, 26 says this, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. How many of you are like me that if you say you're going to do something, you need to immediately put it as a reminder in your phone? If I don't put it on my calendar or set it as a reminder, I am going to forget. That is a guarantee. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does is it's our reminder. It's our teacher. His role is to constantly point us back to Jesus, to remind us. And when we read scripture, we learn what Jesus taught, and the Holy Spirit points us back to that time and time again, points us back to Jesus and his way of life. And alongside this, the Holy Spirit serves as our guide and our counselor. Pastor James, as he was praying earlier today, talked about how the Holy Spirit is our advocate. The word there in Scripture is the one who draws alongside us. John 16 puts it this way, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us as a guide and a counselor. It's kind of like an onboard GPS system that God has enabled in our hearts to point us towards truth and life and love. What this looks like really practically in my life is that when I'm tempted to do something that I know is not right, I often sense a nudge or a small voice reminding me that I have another option. God's Spirit can speak through our conscience and guide us and point us to truth and life. Now, that doesn't mean, to just be honest, that our conscience is always right. We should, and we should just trust our gut, as many in our culture today say. One of my favorite scenes in the TV show The Office is when Michael Scott is following a GPS and it tells him to turn, and he turns his car right into a lake and has to abandon the vehicle as the car slowly goes underwater. Sometimes our internal conscience can kind of be like that flawed GPS and marred by sin. And that's why we need to bring what we sense the Spirit is speaking to us to Scripture to make sure it lines up with what Jesus taught and bring it into Christian community with others who are following Jesus as well. The way that the Bible describes this in 1 John is to test the spirits. God gave us his spirit, and alongside that, he gave us scripture and Christian community to help us as we seek to follow the spirit. Which, as a brief aside, if we would simply do these two things when we sense the spirit speaking to us, take it to scripture and take it to other wise Christian voices in our lives, it would save us a whole lot of trouble. When people say to me, the Spirit told me, and then say something that is clearly counter to what Jesus taught, it could often be avoided if we would simply take it to Scripture and to other Christian voices in our lives. And so here's why we need some humility when it comes to the Spirit. Sometimes we think we have heard clearly, 
but we might actually be Michael Scott driving into that lake. It takes humility to say, I think the Spirit might be saying, or I am sensing the Spirit might be leading me to. We just got to be careful anytime we speak on behalf of God as we don't want to misrepresent Him. And that's just a bit of a pastoral aside, so back to our Holy Spirit 101. The next thing the Spirit does is empower us for life and mission. And all of my faithful Pentecostals in the room are to like, finally he got to the power. Let's go. <laughs> Acts chapter 1, verses 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. When Jesus rises after his resurrection and ascends, he tells his disciples to wait for the Spirit and that the Spirit is going to come and fill them. In the Old Testament, the Spirit is present and active but primarily it fills specific people for specific tasks or seasons. He fills artists to help build the tabernacle and judges and kings and leaders. But in Joel chapter 2, we see that God has promised that one day he will pour out his spirit on all people. And this promise says this, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the fulfillment of this Old Testament promise. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Regardless of where your social standing is, whether you are a male or female, the Holy Spirit is now available to you today in power for your lives. And from that filling in the upper room that day, the disciples go out and they are empowered by the Spirit of God to share the good news of Jesus. And Peter prays this amazing sermon and thousands of people place their trust in Jesus that day. God gave Peter a message, and empowered by the Spirit of God, he preaches it with a new boldness and a new confidence. And this highlights really practically one of the ways that the Spirit empowers us. The Spirit gives us gifts to use. Each one of us is uniquely gifted. You might be sitting here this morning saying, I don't have a part to play. I don't have a gift. Scripture says differently. You have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. You have a part to play in his body and in this world. There is a purpose for your life. So if you walk in here today wondering what your purpose is, let me encourage you, go to Scripture and see 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, where they talk more and more about the gifts of the Spirit. And i got to be honest with you, I could preach a whole message on the gifts of the Spirit. We don't have time for that today. So that's your homework. You can go do some reading on the gifts of the Spirit this week. That's maybe Holy Spirit 201 or 301. We just don't have room for that this morning. But if you want to explore this more and you want to find out a bit more about how you are gifted, we have a cool tool on our website called the Shape Assessment where you can explore your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, and your experience, thus the acronym SHAPE. So if you want to dig into more of spiritual gifts, I encourage you to do that or come talk to me. I'd love to chat with you about it. The Spirit empowers us 
and gives us gifts for life and mission. Peter was gifted with powerful words that day and thousands of people came to faith because of it. And what we as Pentecostals believe is that same power that was released in Acts chapter two is available today. The way that Romans 8 puts it, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Do you believe that today, church? One of the ways I like to think about this is it's the difference of life being plugged in versus on battery. In life, we've been given a certain degree of power by the grace of God. We can call this his common grace to everyone. He has given us breath and he has given us life. That is his grace to us. And that's kind of like operating on battery power. We don't have to be aware of the spirit. We can still accomplish some things because of God's grace in this world. But there's a different level of power that is available to us who have received Jesus as our Lord. On that day, it's kind of like God hands us a plug-in. And he said, here, tap into a different power source. Not just the battery that you've been given, but a different power source. A power to say no to sin and things that lead us towards death. A power to be transformed, to love others more fully. A power to carry our burdens and our difficulties because we have an advocate and the Holy Spirit who is drawn alongside us. A power to step into our gifts and play our role in the church of God. There is power available to all of us. And as I was preparing, I just felt like the Spirit asking me, but are we plugging into this power that's available to us, church? Are we plugging into the source of all life, the source of everything that is renewed? Are we plugging into this or are we just trying to get by on battery power alone? Maybe we've even upgraded our batteries and they're rechargeable. And we come to church each week and we get that one little recharge and we go out in our own strength trying to make it through the rest of the week. But I feel like God is saying to us, church, today, there is more that he has for you. There is more than just getting to the end of your week and trying to say, oh, I need a recharge. I'm too toast. And if that's where you're at, operating on battery power, there is no judgment from me. Sometimes I'm there too. But I just feel like God is saying to all of us today, church, I designed you for more. I designed you to be plugged into the source. And I mean that when the Spirit is with you, you can go through everything with the Spirit this week. I don't mean it in just a nice and spiritual way. I mean when you go into that difficult meeting this week, pause beforehand and say, Holy Spirit, give me wisdom. When you're sitting in that meeting, say, Holy Spirit, help me to see this other person the way you see them. When you get to the end of your day and you have kids and you are done and you've got nothing left, hypothetically, say, Holy Spirit, give me patience, please. Give me more patience because I don't have any left. With that sin that you are struggling with and you feel like you are stuck in a cycle of going through it over and over and over again, when you are tempted next time, ask the Holy Spirit to give you self-control to say no to temptation. I think one of the main ways that the enemy loves to mess with believers is to try and get us to forget about the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. To forget that God wants to empower us and guide us. That God wants to be with us in everything that we are going through and that that power is available to you today. So my invitation to you is put down the batteries. Pick up the plug and plug into that source. You were not made to do this life alone. God wants to empower you. 
And as we draw to a close this morning, the passage from Ephesians shows us an amazing thing. All the good things that we've talked about from the Holy Spirit today, that he is the one who creates and gives life, that he is the one who recreates and brings new life and brings spiritual fruit into our lives, that he is our guide and our counselor, that he points us to Jesus and to everything that Jesus taught, that he empowers us for life and mission and gives us gifts. All of these cool and amazing things are just a taste of the goodness of God. Here's the way Ephesians 1 puts it. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit who seals us is just a deposit or a down payment. Come on, somebody. If you're just giving the bank your deposit or down payment for your house, I don't think they're going to be too happy about that. But God is giving us this deposit that is so beautiful, that is so amazing. And he's saying, this is just a taste of what is to come. He has so much more for us. He is so much more good than even what we experience, all the good things through the Holy Spirit. That is how good God is. And today, church, you are sealed by the Spirit. May we walk in an awareness of God's goodness and his Spirit leading and guiding us this week. We're going we're to close with a word of prayer right now. So I would invite you, if you're able in the room today, just to stand with me. And we've done this a couple times this morning. But just one more time, I invite you, place your hands in front of you. And we're just going to pray a simple prayer and just leave a bit of space. I invite you to pray with me. It's just a simple prayer of come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. As we were praying in pre-service prayer this morning, I just, one of the things I was sensing the Spirit leading towards was that in the 9 a.m. gathering, there are some marriages that feel like they are dead, that feel like they are toast. I just felt like the Spirit wants to speak and say, I am still the same Spirit who can bring life and recreate that marriage. The Spirit is speaking to you today, saying what may look dead, all it takes is the breath of God breathing into that situation. If he can breathe into dust and humanity can be formed, he can breathe into your marriage today. For all of us, Lord, as we walk throughout the rest of this week, help us to not do it on battery power. Help us to not just get our fill today and then check out for the rest of this week, unaware of your presence, unaware of your goodness, unaware of your guiding and leading us. Help us to be aware of your presence as we sang earlier this morning. Help us to grow in that this week. Holy Spirit, you are so good. And I'm so thankful that you came to give us all of the good things that we have talked about today. And so may we tap into that source, that power for our lives today. Thank you, Jesus, for each person in this room. I pray your blessing over them as they head into the rest of this day. Amen. If, if you are uh, 
brand new to faith, brand new to Jesus, and you want to learn more about what following Jesus is all about, I invite you to text the word LIFE to 250-478-7113. And uh, one of our pastors would love to journey alongside of you. Um, If there's something you might need prayer for this morning, I just felt like I'm supposed to offer prayer this morning at the front. So if you need prayer for something in your life, maybe your marriage is the one that needs some prayer this morning. I'd love to pray over you. And lastly, before you head out into this week, uh, church, if you're brand new, you can say uh, hi to Pastor James over there. And we have um, a celebration of life for Dorothy Dobson today. Maybe you know her. Uh, She's been a part of our church in the past, and she went to be with the Lord within the last couple weeks. And so at 2 p.m., there's going to be a celebration of life for Dorothy Dobson here. So if you'd like to come and be with the family, that would be great. Have an amazing week, church. You are sealed by the Spirit, so let's be aware of that this week.